<coughs> Folks, we're uh, who got up for the um, for the Olympic opening? Who who got up a bit early and watched and so forth? Right, just just a couple, just a couple. Who watched the replay? Yeah. <laughs> It's uh, very interesting, very interesting, and to see uh, all those athletes and uh, and already the, the, there's highs and lows happening. Already there's wonderful exhilaration and incredible disappointment, and um, so uh, you know it was interesting listening to um, the disappointment of uh, one of our air, um, air rifle uh, competitor. She only just made it to her event because she slept in slept through the alarm but, but got there but then wasn't able to but she was just exhilarated to be at the Olympics and she said it, it, it was okay that she didn't win and in fact it was okay that she came right down you know fairly low she still performed, she was happy with her performance and just to be at the Olympics now Chris you're a bit of an athlete aren't you yeah, come, come, on, come on up <coughs> What? Look at that. Yeah, uh, Chris, uh, you, you've actually said to me a few times that you're an athlete. Um, so, so, you know, um, you, dress the, you dress like the athletes and so forth, all of those? Uh, yeah, Garth, this uh, isn't my proper training no, outfit. Sure, yeah. 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 I've, got, yeah. Um, I've got shoes, I've got skins, I've got it all. Oh, yeah. Do you wear those, real, those new really bright ones? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, they're excellent, those yeah. really bright uh, clothes. Yeah. So, so um, you, you'd like sort of mingling with the whole thing with the, uh, with the other athletes. Is that a bit of a buzz for you? Yeah, you sort of bounce off each other and you sort of... The, the vibe that they get and all the energy that they sort of you know give it's yeah. the bounce on yeah, yeah really good, really good. so, yeah. so where, where actually do you train huh where, where do you train <laughs> you know the, the whole training commitment you know but overrated Garth overrated oh, oh, oh so you don't you don't train okay so so what about your competitions are you are you working up to a competition at the moment um oh, I think like I thought I'd miss this Olympics, maybe right, wait right. for the next one. <coughs> right, um, so, so you're not actually working towards a competition at the moment? I like watching the Olympics, if that's Right, right. okay, so, so there's no training, in, but you've got the clothes, yeah, 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 got that. you like to talk the talk, yeah, and, and you, you walk a bit like those athletes, you know, you, you know, <laughs> bouncing on yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. And you, but you, you like to walk the walk. No, sorry, you like to talk the talk. You like to dress it, yeah. and so forth. Spend time with others, but the the training, the that, hard, the commitment, yeah. the working towards the goal. It's not really. Oh, that, that's just too hard, Garth. Too hard. Yeah. Thanks, mate. Mm. <laughs> oh, thought we might have had a conversation then, but uh, never mind. James, an interesting book, a great book. Even though, even though um, Martin Luther said a right strawy piece of work, and we'll come to that. It is an excellent book, and it's a book we all need to have a look at, especially after having studied the book of Romans. Now, there's a lot of people who talk about the conflict between James and Romans, but the reality is there's no conflict at all. And in fact, they complement each other beautifully. We're going to have a look over the next little while and uh, in the small groups, for those that are in small groups, and I would encourage you that if you're not in one of the small groups, that you may 
look to uh, join because uh, we're going through this book and uh, I think it will be just fabulous to go through this book together in a small group. Let me read for you the, just the first couple of verses of the book of James. Just two verses, please don't look it up. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Greetings. <clears throat> James. So who's the author? <clears throat> now there's a lot of controversy in some areas and I can't really see it's controversy that, that uh, there, there is a number, a bit of discussion as to who wrote James. There were four James mentioned in the Bible. There was uh, James the son of Zebedee who was a fairly prominent sort of a person but he, he was martyred probably too early to be able to have written this book. There was James the Less, not because of, he wasn't thought of any less, he was probably shorter in stature, and another James. So, but the one that is probably 95-98% sure of having written this is James, the brother of Jesus. Now there are some quarters that sort of dispute this because even contrary to scripture, they believe that Mary continued on to be a virgin and so therefore could not have had these uh, um, uh, brothers and sisters and they were possibly cousins that when it talks about his uh, siblings in, uh, in the scriptures there's, there's a, but, but, it, but the thing is they were convinced that Mary continued to be a virgin and so therefore couldn't have had them and the, the writing is a bit overlapped and so forth. But for the majority of Christians it is understood that James the brother of Jesus was the writer of this. It's very interesting. James grew up in the same household as Jesus and therefore saw Jesus in everyday life. Could you imagine growing up with the Son of God? He'd make you look bad in everything, wouldn't he? (laughs) But, But would he? Are many of the things that children do, because just remember that his brothers and sisters didn't necessarily believe that he was the Son of God. And so growing up with Jesus, sinless but fully human. So many of the things that he did would have been just like you and me. And when he fell over, scraped his leg, he bled. And he did all the things that a a normal child would do. But I think there's another side to it. That growing up in this family, it was a very devout family. And so they grew up, remember before Jesus died, and so they grew up under the Mosaic law. And so they would have been practising Jews. And so the life that James grew up in was in a practising Jewish family. And he would have seen all of that interaction. He also understood the, the, uh, the right practices of the Jewish family. Because remember, Joseph and Mary were chosen to be the, the parents of Jesus because of their heart, because of their right standing. Does it mean they were perfect? Not at all. And we need to be very careful with that. They weren't but they had a heart for God. And what does God want from us? But a heart for him. 
And so he grew up in this family, a practicing Jewish family. And there, with Jesus as the oldest brother, and they would have seen him interacting around the table. They would have seen him interacting when they were outside playing. They would have seen him interacting when he was in the carpenter shop learning the trade. They would have seen this person. They may very well have seen him in action when it came to the poor, the needy, the infirmed, well before he, he uh, did any miracles but the way that he reacted to various people. Maybe when they were going past a crippled beggar on the side of the road where a normal child might make fun of him, how would Jesus react? And so James was able to see firsthand in growing up with Jesus how the Mosaic law, the law that was given through Moses, how that may have been fulfilled in a right way. So he was the writer of this book and the things he's going to say in it to us as people, having grown up in that situation. Now James was known as a very righteous man. In fact, his nickname, as many of you probably know, was Camel Knees. Why do you think he had a name like Camel Knees? That's exactly right. He was known for being a man of prayer. He was sometimes called James the Righteous, James the Just and he spent hours in prayer at the temple and, uh, and such were the calluses on his knees. So this is the calibre of the person that we're talking about with this. We also got to remember that he initially rejected Jesus' deity in John chapter 7, verse 5. Along with his other brothers and sisters, he rejected Jesus' deity. So we talked about here he even grew up with him. Now what does the scripture say that you know, no man would have necessarily known? He didn't look any different. You know, un- unlike some uh, um, uh, philosophies would like to t- tell us that Jesus you know, was such a person that he had this halo around his head and he sort of hovered an inch above the ground everywhere he went, but that wasn't true. Because how would he relate to us as humans if he wasn't a human just the same? How could he relate to us if he didn't trip and fall, scrape his knee, do all the things that an everyday person did? But in being an everyday person, he fulfilled the law. We also see that the time came when James really understood who Jesus was. And in fact, Jesus appeared to James and then to the disciples, remember? So here James saw Jesus die, his own brother. He saw him die. Before the death he would have heard him preaching. He would have seen him lay his hands on people and make them whole. He would have heard him say things like, I forgive you. Much confusion probably as he stood there heard these things, reflecting in his head the, the Sermon on the Mount. And here his brother, 
his brother dying on the cross. But then afterwards, just to strike it home to James that I am truly the Son of God, Jesus appeared to him as the risen Saviour, the Messiah who James knew was to come. Understanding well the Old Testament law, looking forward to the Messiah who was to come, here he was, suddenly realising that unlike what he may have expected, that the Messiah had come, sins were forgiven, the perfect Lamb of God, no longer lambs, goats and bulls or doves being sacrificed on the altars, but here the perfect Lamb of God and all of a sudden I think James' eyes were completely open because Jesus knew that this James, this James was going to be significant in the, uh, in the uh, church in Jerusalem where the new church was to begin, starting at Jerusalem and then Judea, then to the outermost parts. He needed the right person to be in charge, to preside over the church in Jerusalem and here he appeared to James to strike at home, to make him strong, to let him see that this one that he'd grown up with was indeed the Son of God. James <clears throat> presided over the council in Jerusalem and here once again was another area of his own growth. You see, if we go on, if we read uh, the, that, sorry, that uh, first verse again, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes scattered amongst the nations. So he was writing it specifically to start off with to all of the Jewish Christians who were scattered all over the area. Now the Romans, they had been scattered for quite a few times but the thing is the Romans had also had a, um, a, a, a policy of scattering the Jews out to the various areas, to Corinth, to Ephesus, to, to all over. But also remember that those people often came back for the various festivals, the Passover and so forth. Do you remember Peter when he preached in the square of the temple and 3,000 people came in the one day to know him? Well, these were those Jews that were coming back from the outer parts to come and, and to celebrate. And they went back home with the Holy Spirit within them and these are the sort of people that James was talking to, the Jews who were scattered now the council of Jerusalem, do you remember that in, in Acts chapter 15? And here Peter had been um, uh, encouraging, had been encouraged to preach amongst the Gentiles that they had to basically become Jews when they accepted Jesus Christ as their saviour. They needed to go through circumcision and, 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 and go through the rites of the Jews. Well, Paul and Barnabas came back and they heard that. Now, Paul and Barnabas, remember from Romans, they were out there preaching to the Gentiles. So when they came back and said, guys, you've got it wrong. That is not the case. 
Jesus has come not just for the Jews alone but for the Gentiles and let me tell you about all the wonderful works that he's been doing. And so then Peter and James and all the brothers in the Jerusalem church, their eyes were open and they were able to see. And then this James presided over the council of Jerusalem and they wrote a letter then to all of, the, uh, all of those churches encouraging them, not constricting them to the laws of the Jews but encouraging them in the life in Christ. And so there was, we see this pattern that's happening through the New Testament for James as Jesus was growing him from this Jewish-centric person with the eyes locked in the Old Testament because you've got to remember that they never had the New Testament like us. So we can see the growth in their life. And here now we see this book that was written by this person. Josephus, the Jewish historian, um, uh, tells us that about AD 62, uh, James was martyred uh, in Jerusalem as, the, uh, as he was having such an impact in his role uh, in the Jerusalem church that the, uh, that the priests at the time martyred him in front of a great many people. The story is very interesting of that because he was such a seen as such a righteous man. There was actually one of the stories has it um, by a well-known historian that the high priest at the time had to then leave Jerusalem, had to step down from his role and leave because James was held in such high esteem. I leave that with you. I'm not saying whether that's correct or not. Now, the date of writing for, uh, for the book of James is likely to be AD... 45 to 48, could be later, but the reason that they think it was earlier was this, was that first of all he was martyred in 62, but because of the style of writing he has here, the, he doesn't mention the Council of Jerusalem, which was a very significant event at the time, very significant and it wasn't mentioned. It, uh, so that, um, that was uh, uh, around about 50 AD and, uh, and so it's very likely that it was around then. So that's basically just for our information. Now the themes of the book. As I said before, Martin Luther didn't have a high regard for it and, uh, and the reason is this that Martin Luther, who was a priest in the Catholic Church, had suddenly had his eyes opened. That here he saw that our salvation was not by works. But our salvation, our bringing into relationship with God and our, our eternal life, was founda- the foundation for that was in what? It was in the work that Christ had done and in nothing more. That Jesus had died to pay the penalty for sin. That Jesus had died to bring us into relationship with him. And through that we are adopted into Jesus' family. And his eyes were opened in that. 
And it wasn't about the rules of the church. It wasn't about the works that we did day by day. And it definitely wasn't about the money that we paid to get people out of purgatory. So you can see from, from, from his perspective, when he read a book like James which was about daily living as a Christian, it cut across some of the things that he was fighting against. But when you look at it from James' point of view, he says this, if you say that you have faith, then let me see the evidence. If you say you have faith, then let me see the evidence. (coughs) Verse 21 of chapter 1. Verse 21 of chapter 1 says... Sorry, verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Chapter 1, verse 22. Don't just merely listen to the word. Do what it says. And that's the theme of the book. If you say you've got faith, if you tell me you're a Christian, if you tell me your life now stands on the fact that Jesus died and rose again, that his blood that was shed now has given you eternal life, then let me see the evidence to that. Because surely an event like that will change your life. Now he also writes it, as I said, from a person who grew up under the Mosaic law. So when we look at all the, all the Old Testament and the things that that says, it also gives a very, sim- a very uh, uh, similar message to the Jew. Righteous living is certainly the signature of a Christian. But when we look back in the Old Testament, Hosea 6.6, 6, Amos 5.15 and Micah 6.8 all have a similar theme. That if you are chosen as my people, God said to the, uh, the Old Testament Jews, if you are chosen as my people and you say you're a Jew and you want all the benefits of that, then how are you going to live? Don't give me the sacrifices. Don't give me the, the, um, uh, the, the, the prayers out in the open. Give me a changed heart. Don't give me the sacrifice at the end of a sinful life but live a life that is worthy of my name was the theme of the Old Testament. And Jesus said, yes, you've done all these things but where's your mercy for the poor? Where's your heart going out to those who are less privileged? Have you looked after the widows and the orphans? Well, how about you keep your sacrifices and you do as you're supposed to do? And this is very much that theme from James being brought into this New Testament book. In, uh, James has been referred to as, by some writers as the, uh, the Amos of the New Testament because of the way it's written. It's got a similar style to the Old Testament wisdom literature, especially Proverbs, and it's heavily interested, I'm sorry, heavily influenced by the Sermon on the Mount. 
there's 21 references or allusions to the Sermon on the Mount. You imagine for James being in that crowd that day when Jesus was giving this sermon. It would would have lit such a fire within James because here was a righteous man. Here was a good guy. And as he heard Jesus, his brother, talking about the, the spirit of the Old Testament, lighting a fire within us to make sure that the spirit of the law was fulfilled in our daily life rather than just talking about it. Because that's what the Sermon on the Mount was about. It cut across so heavily across the teachers at the time, the Pharisees and the scribes. It cut across them so heavily. They hated Jesus at that point. But for people like James, it probably lit a real fire within them as they started to see this person making live so many of those Old Testament scriptures. And here, reflected in this book, 21 times references or allusions to these things. The God of James. Verse one, verse chapter 117, he is an unchangeable God. 118, he is the creator. 127 and 3.9, he's the father. 4.15, he's the sovereign. 120, he's the righteous one. 113, he's untempted with evil. 4, 7 and 10, to whom must man must submit in humility. 4, 11, 12, he's the lawgiver, sorry, the lawgiver, the judge, the saviour and the destroyer. Four, five, chapter 4, verses uh, 4 and 5, he will tolerate no rivals. 1 5, he's the giver of wisdom, of grace, and he promises the crown of life to those who love him. So, as we consider the person that James was, his background, who he's writing to, we don't then say, oh, yes, but I'm not a Jew that was scattered away from Jerusalem, so it doesn't apply to me. It absolutely applies to us because if we accepted Jesus Christ as our Saviour, do we stand on the blood that was shed at Calvary? Do we say that we have faith that brings us salvation and eternal life? Do we say that God is our Father because of the work that he's done done in us and adopted us into his family? Do we say that we have the Spirit of God living within us? Are they the things that we say as a people of God? Then if that's the truth, if that's the truth, then James has words to say to us about how we live day by day, of how we treat the people that we live with, that we are neighbours to the people that we work with. James has a lot to do, a lot to say about how we take this little thing that lives in our mouth and brings it under control into submission. That's an easy one though, isn't it? None of us have a problem with that, do we? No, no. 
<laughs> but it's true. And when you start, when whoever's going to uh, take that particular study for us, I'm sure that it will ring so many bells within our heads and our hearts, both of joy and of shame, that we will see ourselves reflected, not just with that one, but in all the studies we do in James. We will see ourselves reflected in those things. And folks, I want to encourage you in this. In that word that James has for us in chapter 1 and verse 22, don't just listen to the word. What's it go on and say then? Do it. Today's the overview to give you a background on what we're going to be studying. But I want you to take that verse and bring that verse back with you every time you come into this building. Because being a Christian is not like being an athlete like Chris wants to be. You see, he he wants to be seen with athletes. I mean, he's got a fabulous body, don't you think? You'd think he was a uh, an athlete, you know. And uh, stop laughing, cat. <laughs> but you see, he likes to be seen with athletes. He likes to, you know, talk the talk. He likes to wear those new, really bright shoes that cost lots of money, the skins and so forth. He wants to strut around with them and so forth. Folks, I wonder if there's anyone here who who likes to come here because it feels good to be in church. You like the people here. You like to spend time with them. Morning tea's not bad. You use our heating instead of yours on a Sunday morning. Do you know, James says that it's, it's no good calling yourself a Christian. It's no good knowing about the fact that Jesus died on the cross. It's no good coming to church and listening to the sermons thinking that something from there will just wash over you and magically take you into the kingdom of God. Now James says that if you call yourself a Christian, there's a commitment that needs to be made, an understanding that it's God living by his spirit within us that needs to outwork through us and he needs to make changes to us. It's not a works thing. Our salvation is bought by the blood of Christ and as we accept him and repent of our sins and ask him to come and live within us, then James says, then let me see it. Then let me see it. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for all the books that are in the scriptures for they are your word to us. The scriptures tell us that all of the words that are there are God-breathed from the very heart of God and they are good for us, for teaching and training, for everyday life, for living as your children on earth until the day 
that Jesus comes back to take us to be with him. We also need, Father, to hold true to the fact the scripture tells us that you are making us day by day more like your son. And sometimes we don't like that because it can be hard. It can sometimes be hard to control the tongue. It can be hard to make the tongue apologise sometimes. It can be hard to change our way of life and some of the habits that we're involved in. Taking those habits and stopping them or changing them because they're not right. So Father, I pray that you would help us to take these words from James as we listen to them over the next few weeks. By your spirit that we might apply them to our lives in such a way that we become far better children of God. We become far better neighbours. We become far better brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, uncles, children. We become far better workmates, bosses, employers, employees in all the things that we do in everyday life that your spirit will change us in many of these ways to become more like your children. Father as we go now I pray that you would bless us in all that we are doing in Jesus name. Amen.